Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 131. So this is my third episode on YouTube. So if you're watching the podcast, which I definitely watch some podcasts, and I think it's a great option to have, I want to welcome you to the viewable podcast. However, if you are listening, this is, of course, still available in the audio only version. So whichever way you're consuming this content, I want to thank you so much for your time and your attention and for staying connected. I definitely want to take a moment to thank you if you have subscribed to my podcast itself or maybe to my YouTube channel. I want to thank you if you are a new listener to the podcast. I get these alerts when new people connect with me on Podbean, which is where the podcast is hosted. And I want to thank you if you've ever written me an email, commented on my social media, commented here on YouTube to let me know what you thought of a particular episode. I also want to remind you that if you are watching on YouTube, it's super easy to leave comments. I find it much easier than commenting on other platforms. So please, please, if you're watching, just jot down a couple things. Let me know what hit home for you when you watch this episode. So as usual, I have my trusty notepad with me, which will keep me on track and keep me from rambling on and taking up too much time. I really like these episodes to be under an hour, so it's really easy for you to fit them into your day, whether you're driving someplace or walking the dog or you know sitting outside or using this as something to watch in lieu of something on TV, whatever it is, I really shoot for having these being an hour or less. So today's no exception. This is going to be really a two-part episode. And before I get into the content, I want to just start out with a couple of just announcements, I guess you could call them. So the first thing is, obviously, you know, I have my notes here. We're on YouTube. So if you're not watching and never have watched on YouTube and you do want to see the audio version, go over to my YouTube channel. And I also want to let you know that this summer I have a unique opportunity. I'm kind of loosely calling it Anatomy Summer School. I live in Boston, so if you live in or near Boston and can easily get here, I want you to get in touch with me before Friday, May 28th, and let me know that you're interested in Anatomy Summer School. 
What this will be is basically the live and in-person version of my signature program on anatomy called the Blueprint Learning Program. I have the availability to do this in person, and I am also double vaccinated. So I am ready to get back to in-person teacher training. And so as a result, I thought, what better time than the summer to offer my program live and in-person and imagine yourself at the end of the summer having a firm foundation of anatomy so that you can share it with your students via the cues and the sequences and the conversations you have with them. This could be you when you enroll. Now, there are only five spots. And when you contact me between now and Friday, May 28th, it's simply to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm interested, tell me more. At that point, I can share more about the program, more about the format and the cost. So please keep in mind, if this at all sounds interesting to you and you are in or near Boston, send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com or comment on my Instagram or send me a DM on Instagram. Barebonesyoga is my account there. So what I want to do today is really talk about two different topics. One is a teacher development topic, and one is really a teaching topic grounded in anatomy, which is, of course, my focus when I work with teachers. And so I want to, I, I always enjoy using the podcast here to actually share some teachable content that has to do with anatomy, because I know so many of you are connected with me because you're trying to learn anatomy on your own. So you're using my podcast and maybe other things that I share as a way to try to patchwork together an understanding of this highly complex subject. Now, let me just say right out of the gate, while I love that you're doing that, the best way to learn anatomy, and this is not a plug for my program, but the reality is the reason I created my program is because I know you're out there trying to piecemeal together an understanding of anatomy. And that's an okay way to go about it, but it's probably pretty frustrating, right? It takes a lot of time. Sometimes you don't really feel like you're understanding things. You don't have anybody you can ask questions to. So just keep in mind, as much as I love you consuming my content, I would much rather have you invest your time into a directed approach to understanding anatomy. And whether it's my one-time only summer school program or my blueprint learning program itself, which is a virtual program, think about using those as the main way you're gonna learn anatomy and using things here like my podcast as just supplemental fun things to know. As far as today, the first topic that I want to go into has to do with the following. Are you reading your energy when you're done teaching? All right, so I'll say that again. Are you reading your energy when you're done teaching? Now, that might sound a little new agey and a little kind of out there. So let me put it into maybe different terms. How do you feel when you're done teaching a class? Do you feel energized? Do you feel happy? Do you feel tapped out? Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel frustrating? Because it's really important that you as a teacher tap into how you feel when you're done, because right after you're done teaching a class is a great time to really get a read on how you're responding to the act of teaching a class. And keep in mind, 
as yoga teachers, you know, we want our process to be scalable, meaning we want it to be able to reach more people. And we also want it to be something that we can duplicate with minimal effort. Every time you teach a class, you don't want to have to start from ground zero and work your way back up to a skill level that works for your students. And you also don't want to have to put in a whole bunch of work to get going. You want to be able to go from class to class to class with very minimal effort because anytime something is more effort, it's like pushing that proverbial boulder up the hill. Definitely doesn't feel good to do it. And over time, it gets really exhausting. And worse over time, it makes you actually resent teaching. And I've certainly been there at times in my almost 20 year career. And if you've ever been in a place where you've resented teaching a class or resented teaching in general, it really makes you question, do I really wanna be a yoga teacher? And oftentimes, the reason teachers get there is because they haven't been reading their energy along the way at the end of teaching classes. And even if they were doing that, they really are unable to figure out, well, what can I do to change how I feel? And that's what this part of today's episode is going to cover. So I'm going to give you four different scenarios, which could be ways that you feel when you're done teaching, if you were to just kind of take your internal temperature, kind of take your beat, your pulse on how you feel. And this you could even frame it from the point of view of imagine a colleague comes up to you after you're done teaching and says, how was your class? What would you say? So that's another way to frame it. So one thing you might say is, oh my God, I am talking way too much. Okay. Another thing you might say is, I am spending so much time worrying about my students. A third thing you might feel or you might say is I am exhausted from all the preparation I'm doing even before I get to teaching the class. And then the last situation is I feel like I'm just saying the same stuff over and over and over. So I want you to think about if any of those resonated with you, that would be a perfect thing to comment on in the comments or to add your own experience of how you feel, if you're willing to share it, when you're done teaching a class, if I didn't mention the feeling here. So what I wanna do now, because you know, my podcast episodes are about solutions, they're not about just moaning and groaning about things. And so I really wanna give you some actionable things you can do if you're feeling any or all or a combination of some of the things I just mentioned. So the first scenario, I'm talking way too much, tired of hearing my voice, I'm exhausted from talking. I mean, certainly when I get done teaching an anatomy training, they're typically three to four hours long. I am exhausted from talking, but I'm the trainer and I'm training teachers on content. When you're a yoga teacher, yes, you're the trainer, yes, you're the coach, However, it's a much more balanced interaction, meaning the students are there showing up, you're there showing up as the teacher, and it should really be weighted 
I'm going to say equally between silence and you talking. However, it should definitely right out of the gate, let's just put it out there, include some time where there's no one talking. And certainly their role there as students is not to talk. So that just leaves you <laughs> as the person that can just be quiet. And I'll tell you a little secret. When you are not talking, it's a great opportunity for you to catch your breath and reground yourself. And this works especially well if you're finding you're getting flustered, if you're finding you're getting nervous, if you're finding you're feeling self-conscious in whatever way, if you feel like your head is full, that alternate script is running, it's a great time for you to give them space and to come back into the present moment, moment come back into your body. However, there is one specific technique that I want to tell you about if you feel like you're talking too much. You know, I often liken the scenario of a teacher who talks too much as similar to a situation where you walk into a dark room and you don't know where the light switch is and you're kind of looking for where's the light switch and you're just kind of banging your hand against the wall because you're unfamiliar with the room and you don't know where it is and it's dark and you need to walk in there and see. When a teacher talks too much, sometimes it's because they're not really clear on what they're teaching. So they have all these words and all these phrases that they've pulled together from lots of different exposures they've had to trainings and teachers, and they're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall until something sticks. The other thing is when teachers are nervous, they tend to talk a lot. Another thing, and this is really where my solution comes into play, when you don't have a way to organize what you're saying, that's oftentimes when you tend to go on and on and on. So one of the most effective things you can do if you feel like you're talking too much is to use a cues framework. <laughs> I didn't realize that rhyme. So use a cues framework, a framework for your yoga cues. I've talked about frameworks in the past. I find this to be an incredibly powerful way for you to organize your thoughts before you say anything, right? I mean, think about the magic of that. Organizing your thoughts before you say anything as a teacher means that the chances of what you say being heard and understood better go way up. When you don't have a way to organize your thoughts, the chances of your students understanding what you want them to do goes way down. So cues frameworks are sort of like an outline. Think of it like a blueprint, right? My program is called the, uh, the Blueprint Learning Program. Blueprints, not really script, but a way to organize what you know. So instead of everything in your head coming out, it's everything in your head being filtered through a very specific framework. So one framework that I like to share with teachers is to always teach from action. Another framework is to teach from action and add an anatomy cue from some of, for some of the poses. So there are lots of different frameworks and I'm not gonna go into all of them. However, I wanna give you this idea as a way to organize your thoughts and to allow the comprehension of your students to go up. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is, the second scenario I presented is, I'm spending too much time worrying about my students. So 
If this is your experience, oftentimes what I find when I talk to teachers who are feeling this way is their worry for their students is coming from a fear that they're going to get hurt. Now, this is a whole other episode on its own that we could talk about in terms of the inherent or uh, suggested risk that people think yoga has inherent in it which I don't believe is true. However, it's out there as a thought. And many times what teachers refer to as injuries they've had or injuries they've heard of, those are all just anecdotal stories. They really have very little to do with science or data or controlled studies or repeatable evidence, right? They're more I felt this way, or this happened to me, or this happened to somebody else. And that's not to say that there isn't a connection. It's just very hard in those anecdotal scenarios to draw a direct line between yoga and the injury, right? And even something like a student coming up to you and saying, I'm just coming off of an XYZ injury. I'm just going to take it easy in class today. And you as a teacher saying, oh, yes, that's absolutely the correct approach. Only do what you think is appropriate and feels good. Well, that advice, quite frankly, flies in the face of science-based evidence that show us that when you take someone who is healing from an injury, one of the best things you can do to help them heal is to stress the injury out of it the injured limb or the injured muscle or the muscle, however you want to phrase it, the muscle that's in healing. Because let's face it, if you don't provide some gentle stressor or more than gentle to the area that needs to heal, how is it going to heal? I mean, the perfect example of this from the clinical setting is years ago when you had your hip replaced, you'd be on bed rest for a number of days. Now, when you get your hip replaced, you're home the same day and you're up and walking within an hour or a couple hours of surgery. And that is testament to the science-based evidence that demonstrates that healing in part is dependent upon movement, use of the affected limb, use of the affected joint and things like that. However, you're probably listening to this saying, well, geez, Karen, I certainly wouldn't want to tell someone who is injured to push themselves. Well, remember, it's not we're saying push yourself. We're saying do what's possible for you. Let's face it. When you have an injury and you go to physical therapy, they're not not having you use that limb. They're taking you through exercises. Now, granted, let's talk about scope of practice here. As yoga teachers, we are not meant to treat all I'm saying in this conversation part, this part of the conversation, is that I want you to think about some things that you were told, that you heard, that you say, that really aren't evidence-based, that are really instead things, especially as it relates to injuries, that it's like that telephone game that have just been passed on through 50, 100 years yoga teacher to yoga teacher to yoga teacher take it easy don't stress the area and teachers just take that stuff as fact and your own personal experience with the injury you had in your neck well now you're going to be saying certain things to students about neck injuries and certain postures when maybe that's just your experience not necessarily 
triggered by your practice, but by something completely different. So this really means as teachers, we need to be really clear that what we're saying is, I don't want to say evidence-based because I don't want to put pressure on you to dive into the literature, the science literature. However, it really at a minimum should increase, I want it to increase your awareness of things you say that you really can't prove that are just things you heard. And I'm sorry to say this, it kind of burst your bubble, but there's a lot of that in yoga teaching. A lot of what teachers say is just stuff that they picked up from other teachers. And there really is very little proving much of it, right? There are other examples I have, but again, I'm not pointing fingers. I just want you to start to be really intentional or at least start to examine more what you're saying. So this all relates to this one concern that you might have after you're done teaching that has to do with safety of your students. Because my bet is that if you have this concern, it's related to worrying that your students are gonna get hurt. So just to reiterate, the concern is, I'm spending way too much time worrying about my students. So one thing you can do to drop that concern and to help you let go of that concern is to teach in an essential and highly accessible way. I'm not saying teach easy classes. I'm simply saying teach in a highly accessible way and use essential wording. Sorry to say that probably means don't use Sanskrit. Or if you're going to use Sanskrit, uh, start with the English and then use the Sanskrit. I'm also going to say teaching in an essential way means you really have to cue effectively. If you want to learn how to provide effective yoga cues, DM me on Instagram when you're done listening to this and I'll send you my recorded workshop on that subject, how to give effective yoga cues. So again, if you want to stop worrying about your students, the onus is on you, first thing, to teach in an accessible, effective, clear way. What I describe here is essential, uh, accessible way. And by essential, I mean drop the fluff, right? Which relates to what we talked about in number one, um, not talking too much and, and saying just what needs to be said. You know, when I work with yoga teachers one-on-one, -on -one, there's a lot of cues about breath. There's a lot of sharing what the person is thinking. Okay, so now I want you to, instead of step your right foot forward, they don't need to know the running script in your head. That is not helpful to them. They just need to know what you want them to do. Okay, now, does that mean you don't add in yoga philosophy? cues to breath occasionally, um, speaking authentically from the heart, making it the yoga that you feel most connected to. Absolutely not. What I'm talking about here are communication and cueing techniques that I feel should be the bulk of what you do. That doesn't mean we're stripping it away to be a quote unquote exercise class. However, it does mean that I believe you need to be intentional about what you're saying so that your students get it. If you're sharing everything under the sun, chances are they are lost. So that's all about 
teaching in an essential, accessible way. And when you do that, your worry for them, especially around safety, will go down because you'll know you're, you're not teaching in a way that's giving them all this excess and therefore increasing the risk that they don't get what you mean, that they're going to do different you know, poses or try different variations. It really brings that risk down. So that's number two. Number three concern that I listed earlier is I am exhausted from the prep. I'm just exhausted from all the preparation I'm doing. This kind of thing breaks my heart, especially when teachers tell me that they're considering dropping a class off their schedule or worse, stopping teaching altogether because they just don't have the time to prepare. So the, the fix to this, there are really two things. The most, um, the quickest fix to this is to have a standard sequence, right? Because when you have a standard sequence, you don't need to prepare. You go in, you teach that sequence. You go in again, you teach that sequence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there are some concerns about that that I have about giving bodies different things to do and wearing and tearing on the same muscle groups all the time. So definitely there's good logic behind the need to change things up, but you can use a standard sequence as your template. The second thing is to decrease your prep time is to download my sequence building template because that gives you a process that is repeatable and painless and organized and rather than sitting with a blank piece of paper or scrolling through somebody's book on sequencing or going through dozens of videos on YouTube, it basically gives you a format you can fill in that allows you to create a sequence on your own instead of being influenced by all these external forces. Why not value yourself as a teacher and create a sequence based on what you want to offer? And Sorry, but the best place to start is what's the intention behind the sequence you're going to create? And when you get my sequence template, you're going to see that's one of the, that is the first thing. Because if you have no intention behind what you're teaching, that will absolutely come through. And so very, very important. And what a great way to bring joy to your teaching when you have an intention behind what you're offering students. Okay. And then the last one is that I said earlier, scenario-wise, is I feel like I'm saying the same things over and over and over, right? Not only am I sick of hearing myself talk and I'm exhausted from talking too much, I just feel like I'm saying the same stuff over and over and over again. So a good solution to that is similar to what I offered before, use a framework, but use different frameworks, right? So I can go in and teach the same sequence in different ways by simply changing up the cues framework that I use. One day I can go in and teach action only. One day I can go in and teach action and alignment. One day I can go in and teach action cues with some anatomy-based cues. There are different frameworks that I teach and you can use those almost like different sunglasses to put on. I have the dark shades, I have the light shades, I have the pink shades, and it changes how you see, right? If you look out of those sunglasses. So this is a way to change a standard sequence so that your students feel like it's a little bit different, even though for you as a teacher, you're pretty much offering the same thing. So before I go on to the second part of this episode, 
with a different topic that's more of an anatomy lesson, I want you to just take a moment, just think about these four scenarios. Think about if any of them really resonate with you. Send me a DM, let me know. If you have a different one that you're experiencing, I definitely wanna know that. So you're gonna comment on the YouTube video, send me a DM, send me an email. Any kind of feedback you can give me would be great. Okay, so for topic number two, I wanted to spend a few moments going through what a prime mover is. So prime mover has nothing to do with prime rib, has nothing to do with moving from your house. A prime mover is what it sounds like. It is the primary muscle mover of a limb. And when we think about movements that muscles create, we're talking about movements from joints. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you see me referring to the skeleton here. So it is a movement made at a joint as a result of a muscle acting on that joint. This is also a way you can think of muscle contractions. When a muscle contracts, it creates a particular movement at a particular joint. And the primary muscle doing that action, creating that action is otherwise known as the agonist or prime mover. Now, as it turns out, knowing the prime mover is a great way to cue with anatomy in mind because you could speak to the prime mover in your cues. This relates directly to what I said a few moments ago when I was talking about cues frameworks. If you want an easy way to bring anatomy into your teaching, simply share the prime mover in a particular pose, but you must connect it to the joint movement that's occurring. It does me no good if I'm in warrior one and you're talking about the quadriceps, but you don't tell me what it's doing in this pose. If I don't know what the quadriceps do, just because you call it out doesn't really help me. So I'm gonna go through some examples here. And again, these are examples that we'll go through from a learning perspective. I want you to think about how you could blend these into anatomy-based cues. So the first one is in Warrior One, and here's the example I just shared. In Warrior One, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I have my left foot forward, my right leg back straight, right? Obviously my arms will be up in the air. We're gonna focus on the action of the quadriceps here. So the quadriceps run from your upper thigh down to your lower thigh, essentially from your, essentially on your thigh, with the exception of one part of your quadriceps, the rectus femoris, which starts on your ASIS or your hip point and also ends on your knee. Now the main function of the quadriceps is knee extension. So if I look at warrior one and I look at the back leg, the knee is in extension. The prime mover creating knee extension is the quadriceps, okay? Now, just for a little extra credit here, if I look at the other side of warrior one, where the hip is in flexion, the prime mover of flexion is the psoas. However, a collaborator with the prime mover is part of the quadriceps, the one I just mentioned, the rectus femoris, which starts on the hip and has the role of both hip flexion and knee extension. So we could even take that a step further and say, well, Karen, how could we blend that into an anatomy-based cue? Well, you could say, step your left foot forward, drop your back heel, squeeze your back thigh, and see if you feel that quadriceps muscle 
straighten your knee, help to straighten your knee, engage to straighten your knee. You know, again, the beauty of this, and I've said it before, is that when you truly know anatomy, you have the freedom to share it however you want. How amazing is that? Students get to experience what you know in your own voice instead of just repeating things you were told to say. Much better scenario. So let's look at low push-ups. I'm not gonna demo low push-ups. So I want you to imagine somebody or yourself in low push-up. And we're gonna talk about in low push-up what we want to be happening with the scapula, which is we want the scapula to be moving away from the spine, which is scapula, scapular abduction or protraction. The prime mover of scapular abduction is the serratus anterior, which runs from ribs two through eight up to the medial border of the scapula. So you could, in plank, have people do a slight cat, not cow, cat pose, and that would be turning on their serratus anterior. If you wanted to integrate the serratus and its action into a cue, you could have people in plank press into the ground a little bit, and you could bring their awareness to the scapula moving apart, and you could say, hey, do you notice your scapula moving away from each other? This is the role of a muscle that connects your ribs to your scapula, to your shoulder blades. It's called the serratus anterior. And fun fact about the serratus, it's a really weak muscle in people. So it's a great thing to strengthen. So that's the prime mover of scapular abduction as seen in poses like plank, low plank, dolphin. All right, so the third one is Boat. If we look at boat, again, imagine yourself in boat pose or someone in boat pose. The hips are in flexion. The trunk is being drawn up towards the legs. The prime mover of that hip flexion is the rectus abdominis. The rectus abdominis runs in the front of the body from the pubic bone up to the sternum. Please don't ask people to contract their abs when they are doing backbends like up dog, wheel, or bridge, because the rectus abdominis is not contracting to flex the spine in those poses. It's relaxing or eccentrically lengthening to allow the hip flexion and to a certain extent, the spinal flexion. So here, the, um, the rectus abdominis is the prime mover of hip flexion in a posture like boat. To take it to this last step, what's the cue? You could say to somebody in boat, draw your belly button into your spine, stabilize through your core. See if you notice that line up the middle of your body engaged. That's your rectus abdominis. Now, again, friends, remember, you never have to say the name of the muscle. If you don't want to do it, if it doesn't feel natural to you, if it feels like you're trying to be a smarty pants, don't say it. However, it doesn't mean you don't need to know it and it's not transformative to know it. And by transformative, I mean, even if I don't name the muscles in my cues, I know what's going on, obviously to a certain extent, you can never know 100% because you can't see inside the body. But what I know makes me feel, helps me to feel like I'm teaching authentically versus just repeating stuff, as I said before. All right, let's do a couple more. Bridge pose, imagine yourself or a student in bridge. The hips are in extension. The prime mover of hip extension is the gluteus maximus. Not your glutes, not your glute med, not your glute med, 
gluteus maximus, covers the whole posterior aspect of the hip. If I wanted to cue someone to that prime mover as they are in bridge, I could say squeeze around your sitting bones, squeeze the back of your hips, see if you feel some contraction happening there. That's your gluteus maximus, different from the other parts of your glutes, which are on the sides of your hip. Um, what about in wheel? In wheel, we have this big back bend, otherwise known as spinal extension. The prime movers of spinal extension are the erector spinae, or otherwise known as the spinal extensor muscles. It's a group of three muscles that runs next to the spine. And although they are the prime mover, they're hard for people to intentionally contract. You know, as they come into wheel, for instance, those muscles just create the extension. It's not like when you ask someone to flex at the elbow and quote unquote, make a muscle, that's more in their volitional control. As they come into wheel, if you said to them, contract your spinal extensors, they wouldn't really be able to do that. However, the mere fact that they're in wheel is evidence to the fact that those muscles are contracted. So sometimes the prime mover might not even be a muscle you speak to because of the reasons I just shared. Again, doesn't mean you don't wanna know it, doesn't mean knowing it doesn't help transform your teaching and the way you share cues. It's just that the knowledge you have sometimes raises a red flag as to, I don't really think this is a good muscle to use as an example as part of my cues framework. And then let's do one more. So the last one is prayer twist. So imagine I'm in this seated chair and my hands to my heart and I twist to the right. As I twist, the obvious motion there is the um, twisting of the torso and the prime mover of that torso rotation is the internal and external obliques. Now, again, these are muscles that would be hard for someone to volitionally contract. However, they certainly could twist more or you could cue them to twist deeper or can you twist a little further? And as you give them those cues, you could pepper in the names of the muscles that are twisting muscles. Obliques are definitely muscles that people are more familiar with. So I think if you were to share uh, as they're twisting, your internal and external obliques are helping you do this. I think that would be well received and certainly something that's in the vernacular uh, or the consciousness of your, of your students. So we've gone through those examples. These again are examples of prime movers and how you would refer to them in poses. So again, this is another checkpoint. Think about questions you have, send me a DM, think about examples of poses that you want me to go over in the next episode, let me know what that is. And then I wanna just wrap up by reminding you, when I was talking about sequence building and how teachers sometimes are exhausted from building sequences, please remember you can just go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and there is a sequence building template right on there, right on the homepage. It'll make everything so, so much easier for you when you are building your sequences. So I'm gonna place my notes down here. I wanna thank you so much for watching or listening only. I wanna thank you for being part of the Bare Bones Yoga 
podcasting community. And I really want to thank you for your time. Keep in mind, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, if you're interested in Anatomy Summer School and you live in or near Boston, you have until the 28th, which is this coming Friday, to raise your hand and say, hey, Karen, I'm interested. Tell me more. All you need to do is send me a DM or email. Karen at barebonesyoga.com. So thank you so much. We are heading into, at least here in the United States, a holiday weekend. So chances are there won't be a live episode this coming Monday. It'll come up on Tuesday. Quite frankly, I haven't thought that far ahead. Um, However, any questions that you have, feel free to reach out. I would love to hear from you. If you are still listening right now, I'm going to give you a special shout out people that listen all the way to the end of the podcast are people I just totally love that. I'm a big proponent of listening all the way to the end of my favorite podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will see you on the next episode here, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.